the book of Ephesians, and we've spent some good time in Ephesians. You can spend a lot of good time in Ephesians because Ephesians is a wonderful book. Uh, Ephesians covers a lot of things, and it's very similar to Romans. And we have seen uh, through the book of Ephesians that Paul has told us many things. We've learned many good things about ourselves. We've learned that although we're walking on the earth in the natural, that in the spirit, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. In other words, God has given us a stature of righteousness because of what the blood of his son Jesus has done which is encouraging for all of us who live, most of us, under some kind of doubt and some kind of condemnation, uh, uh, under some type of guilt, to let us know that we have a God that loves us, a God that cares for us, and a God, because of his sacrifices, that he has, through his blood, given us a right to eternal life. And that is a precious thing. I was talking to my children today, and we were just having a conversation and it came up the topic and I said that it's important. My child, Anna, asked me what was hope. And I began to talk about hope, about hope of the re resurrection and about expectation and about the importance of hope or what the Bible calls elpis. Why? Because if there is no hope, there is no reason for us to continue. If this is all there is, when we look outside and we see uh, Delta and Lambda and, and Alpha, Beta, Zeta, Iota, Kappa, Lambda, to all these different things coming and we see people jumping and, and on planes trying to come uh, come to America and different places for their safety. We look at the world and say, if that is all there is to it, there's not much to be happy about. But we have what is the Bible calls a blessed hope that there is a life after this, that there is a resurrection after this, that there is a resurrection of the dead. And Paul begins to talk to us about those things. And that is such a wonderful thing. Our Aren't you glad that this is not the end? This is only the beginning and that God has seated us with him. Hallelujah. In heavenly places, God has seated us with him and gave us right standing and positioning with him. And we will forever be with him, uh, with him and his son uh, and, and the spirit. And we will fellowship there. And where I come from, they used to have this saying that said it will always be howdy, howdy. I'm from the South and never goodbye. In other words, that there won't be any more goodbyes anymore, that we won't have to say goodbye to a loved one anymore. We won't have to have any more parting anymore because we will all be there. And the Bible says that he will light the city. God himself will be illumination for us and we won't even need a son. And Paul is giving us hope to these things and he's given us um, some teaching on the doctrine and how God's plan has been made out for us and how he has decided to bring a big family unto himself, not just Jew, not just Gentile, but one church and to bring us into to unity and to get rid of all division and to get rid of all schism and all of those types of things. And we have built the foundation of what we would call doxis or doctrine. Doctrine is what you should believe. And the first three chapters of Ephesians, after all, tells us what we should believe. And now he goes over into the second part and he begins to tell them how we should behave. How we should behave is important, but we need to know what we believe first, because if you don't know what you're designed to do, if you don't know your purpose, you cannot behave accordingly. So it's important that we know how we behave. And Paul has told them about the measure of the fullness of God that is filled them and that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that they could ask or think. And then he flips the page and he says this in Ephesians 4 and 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Now we're going to sit there and we're going to camp there in those two verse, verses for a moment, because in light of our positioning with Christ, there is a therefore in the King James version, and it's a continuation of a conversation Paul has already been having. And he's saying in light of our positioning with Christ, in light of all the things that he's done in light of him graciously, including him, including us rather in his plan, we now need practical instruction for how to live life. In other words, he's not just going to leave us lofty in the high, high areas of, of doctrine so that we can just be smart and that we can know doctrine, but it does us no good to know doctrine if we do not know how it looks in day-to-day -day life 
how it looks in practice, how to do it. I enjoy a good sermon. I enjoy deep theology. I enjoy somebody really being able to expound on the word of God, to be able to go into the Greek and to the Hebrew. I enjoy listening to scholars on high level and deep level discussions. But at the end of the day, I need to know, and I know you need to know what I need to do to live for Christ day to day. There are many things we can do to pontificate and to begin to debate about, about the goodness of, of, of the Bible and the goodness of God's word. But Paul wants to let us know there is a way to behave. And he says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, I offer you, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received. And I asked the Lord to give me a simple way to say that. And I said it this way, and God gave it to me this way, that the conduct should match the product. What do you mean by that? That you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. If you ordered something from Amazon or from Walmart.com and you ordered a box and you, that box had something that you had long wanted and you open it up and you are anticipating and you see the mailman or the UPS man or woman show up, you're excited about getting the mail. When I was a kid, I was really excited about getting mail. I stopped being excited about my fourth or fifth year of paying bills as an adult because I realized that the mail wasn't fun anymore. But every now and then, thanks to Amazon, I get a little excited when I see the mail. But imagine coming and opening up the mail and you've ordered this package and you're anticipating something and you open up the package. It looks like the package on the outside, but when you open it up, there's something completely different than what you expected. That's what Paul is telling us is that since you belong to Christ and Christ has purchased you, you are his purchase. He has purchased you with his blood because you are seated with him in heavenly places that when we get down to the brass tacks and we unwrap who you really are, the product should be matched by the conduct. What's on the inside should match what's supposed to be on the outside. And Paul is saying that I want you to walk worthy, to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you have received. And we've focused a lot on our heavenly and our vertical relationship in the previous chapters. But now, since we've seen our spiritual position, now Paul teaches us what to do with our vertical relationships. Somebody say relationships matter. I don't know if you know it or not, but it doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter how often you pray, how spiritual you are. If you don't have a relationship with your brothers and sisters, your relationship is in vain. James says it this way. He says, true religion isn't coming to church. True religion isn't reading the Bible and praying in tongues. True religion is relational. It's taking care of widows and it's taking care of orphans and taking care of those people that are around you. The Bible also says this. It says that if we say that we love God whom we have never seen, but hate our brother whom we see every day, we lie and do not the truth. What does that mean? God says, you can't skip over people to get to me. That your relationship with people will actually tell you what your relationship is with me. What do you mean by that? Jesus tells his disciples, they're not going to know you're my disciples by the type of shoes you wear or whether you wear a suit to church or whether you wear shorts. He's not going to know if you're his disciples. He said the way that you will be known as my disciples is for the love, how you interact with one another. That how we interact with one another matters. I was behind somebody today and I was driving, coming down the road from a place and all of a sudden I heard a, a horn and it wasn't the trumpet from Gabriel, it was the horn from an SUV and it wasn't a courtesy tap, it was an angry blare because I wasn't moving fast enough for them and I looked at them and I looked in the rear view and I'll be honest I thought about all the things that I could say, I thought about when they passed me, how I was going to look at them in the eye and let them know you honking at the wrong person today. You got the wrong person today. And then I thought about that. I said, I hand out these kindness cards. What if I see them one day and hand them a card and they remember me and remember my conduct. And now my witness is hurt because I allowed my practice 
not to line up with my doctors. Do we get it right all the time? No, we mess up sometimes. That's what grace is for. But grace is for just in case, not for just because. Grace will clean up our mess ups, but we allow grace to clean up our mess ups, not the ones we try to intentionally do. Although it will clean them up, we don't try to willfully sin just because grace will help us. Shall we continue therefore in sin now that grace abound, God what? Forbid. So it's important that the conduct match the product. And if we are bearing the name of Jesus Christ, that when people see us, they see joy and peace. If we say we are spirit filled believers, well, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, faith. Paul is saying that if the spirit of God is in you, what people see on the inside of you should match what you profess. The reason he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling is because they have a choice. You can be saved and still make the wrong choice. You can be saved and be sour. You can be saved and forget who saved you and walk around with the rocks in your jaws. You can walk around with a nasty disposition. You can walk around and do things that you're not supposed to do. And what you're not realizing is that you are affecting other people. Mahatma Gandhi was a, uh, an activist in India, and he said, I almost was persuaded when I looked at Jesus to be a Christian, but there was one problem that kept me from following Jesus. You know what that was? Christians. <laughs> because the Christians don't seem anything like the Jesus they follow. Now, if, if people are keeping you from following Jesus, that's not really the reason not to follow Jesus because you're following him, not us. But what he is saying is that all over Christianity, we constantly see people that do not line up with what God has called them to be. If you don't believe me, pull up your social media during a political season. And you won't see meekness and faith and gentleness and humbleness. You won't see love. You'll see ugliness. You'll see people yelling and you'll see people spewing out things that it might be best for them to keep to themselves. Why? Because that conduct doesn't match the product. And they do not realize that there may be one person on your page that doesn't agree with your political party. There may be one person that doesn't have the views you do and they were looking at your life to come to Christ. But now because you put up something nasty or curse wise or lewd, they are turned off of Jesus because they are turned off of you and God says that you are responsible for that. How am I responsible for that? Can I be just be like Charles Barkley and say I'm not a role model? No, you can't because Jesus said if you offend the least of mine, if you keep somebody from following me, if your conduct keeps people from following me, you might as well have a millstone put around your neck and cast in the sea. I don't know if you know what a millstone is, but in Jesus's day, they ground up uh, their meal and we use apothecaries use them to grind up medicine and things. And sometimes we grind up things today, but millstones could get up to 2000 pounds, the size of a car. And God is saying that if you block somebody from coming to me, you would rather take a 2000 pound stone, put it in your neck, put it around your neck and go for a swim. Because the conduct needs to match the product because what's most important for us while we're on the earth is that our relationships with each other line up. They'll know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for the others. We need to walk in humility. Unity and harmony can be a convincing witness. People can be drawn to you or away from you. And even in the body of Christ, that we should not be cannibalistic in the body of Christ. There are some things that we have to have and some doctrines we have to believe in order to be Christians. But there are some issues that don't matter one way or the other. And oftentimes we say, we're the only people that have it. Don't go over to those people. Don't listen to them because they preach this and they preach that. It has nothing to do with the central facets of, of Christianity. It has to do with our personal preference. 
certain type of music we don't like. Don't play that music. They're playing that. That ain't godly music. And I don't know how did they write God a letter and say what kind of music is yours because the, the hymns weren't written in those styles. They, but it, I found out that many times the ungodly music happens to be music with which they don't particularly like to listen to. Have you noticed that? I love the old hymns, but that gospel rap I won't listen to. Or this, if you can't say amen, say what? Ouch. That's a personal preference. And we put our personal preferences and transpose them on God, and we create divisions where they should never be. And what the world sees is us fighting on things that don't matter. Silly stuff. What type of stuff have we heard people say in the church that didn't bring unity? I won't come because that preacher... He doesn't, he doesn't read from the King James. And if you don't read from the King James, that's the only translation that's really real. Really? What about the Greek and the Hebrew? The original text. Many of us have grown up and we don't even realize that Jesus never had a brother named James. Why didn't he have a brother named James? Because the person in 1611 who decided to commission the King James Version wanted his name in the Bible, and he changed the name of Jesus' brother to James. It's not his real name. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Look it up. That has nothing to do with the integrity of the Bible. The Bible is infallible. But what I'm saying is how often we can get into mindless arguments and divisions and divide among things that really don't matter. And when we are divided amongst ourselves as a global body of Christ, and then we tell people in the world to come into us, well, the gang member, they all on one accord. The people with their agendas, whatever it is, they're all on one accord. They get along. Satan tends to get along with himself pretty good, and they get along just fine, and then they come in here, and we fuss and argue, not in this church, thank goodness, but in the body of Christ at large, there are people making blogs, and those blogs are just designed to tear other preachers down and take two-minute sound bites of a preacher and take that two minutes and then take a whole hour to tear down that preacher, not even knowing that person, and and then they say, but you should follow me because I'm right and I'll lead you to Jesus. And the sinner says, I don't want to follow you because you're nasty. You're not building people up. You're working to tear people down. If you can't say amen. But this is how we should be. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. You can disagree with somebody without being disagreeable. You can have differences with somebody. The word says, come let us reason together. Not come let's have a church split because you believe this and I don't believe that. No, we can agree to disagree on certain things. Certain things you can't, you, we have to have. You have to believe in the Trinity to be a Christian. You have to believe in the Godhead and that Jesus was born of a virgin and he's the son of God and he's coming back for the quick of the dead. Those types of things, there are certain things that are what you call non-negotiables. We can't negotiate on those things. But how you dress and how you look and the clothes you wear, that's a different thing. I'm wearing a suit coat right now now, but there's somebody probably in a jersey and some Air Force Ones and a, and a hat kicked to the side preaching the gospel. And as long as people are getting the gospel, it does not matter. Amen. We need to learn to be unified and humble, he says, and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. In other words, when you treat people like you want to what? Be treated. If we really look at ourselves, we'll realize that we need a lot of patience to be had with us. That we couldn't get along with ourselves if we had to do it, but we expect other people to get along with us. And we know we got little hangups and things like that. And we got short tempers and all these other things we have. And what Paul is saying is that you need to bear with one another and overlook some of those things that you just seem to get irritated about and stop asking why they do it and start asking why it bothers you so. 
The problem is not that they keep doing something that gets on your nerves. The problem is, where is the peace of God that you have to where it always seems to irritate you? Because God wants to give you a gift. Jesus says, peace, I give to you. Not like the world gives. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above, sing o'er my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Do you have that peace when you turn on Fox News and CNN? Or do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Where's that peace, peace, wonderful peace? when you're listening to stuff that gets on your nerves. But he's telling us to be patient with people because people are imperfect. And if you're honest, we are all imperfect. We all have growing to do. And Christian character bears with one another. This is good. Bear with one another, not in irritation, not bear with one another in toleration. I often tell people, you need to go where you're celebrated and not where you're tolerated. What do you mean by that? I mean that some people will deal with you because they need what you have to offer, but they really don't care for you at all. They're just dealing with you because you have what they need. But there are some people who will appreciate you for you. And if they appreciate you for you, I would rather have somebody that appreciated me for me and didn't need what I had than somebody that needed what I had but really didn't care for me at all. And he is saying, let your motives be genuine, bearing with one another in love. And we have to learn to connect with one another, to be humble, to be gentle, that our conduct matches the product. Relationships matter. We have humility. We need to think of others. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. I'm just going to read it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Those people that, that tolerate you because they need you. Or vain conceit, rather in humility. Everybody, let's read that last part together. Value others above yourselves. Now, let's replace yourselves with myself. And let's say it again. Value others above myself. Humility doesn't mean not to think of yourself. It means to think of yourself less, to change the order of priority. In other words, I choose to put you first. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we genuinely, genuinely stop right there and say, you know, you got to have the mind of Christ and, and do the things of Christ. But we never read the rest of it. It says, why did he have that mind? What kind of mind did he need? He said that although he was equal with God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he didn't think it was anything to be attained. He made himself a what? Servant. Jesus says that those who must be great among you must be what? Servants. We are here in Christianity as servants to usher people into the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. They will know we're Christians by how we serve one another. That's why when Jesus got ready to go, he sat down and took a tunic and wrapped it around himself and he began to wash his disciples' feet. I'll never forget the first time I had my feet washed. It was by uh, one of our regional bishops and we stopped and we were washing other people's feet and I didn't mind washing other people's feet but then the regional bishop, I was the youngest minister in the room and he walked over to me and, and Brother Halls kneeled down and I said, stop, you can't do that. You're the regional bishop and he, said, he looked at me and he said, Willie, that's kind of the point. <laughs> that nobody in this room is so high that they can't serve the other. 
It's important for us to realize that in this self-centered culture, to really get close to Christ and to be unified, we need to serve one another. We don't need to be consumers, but we need to be servants. We need to come to church with a mindset, how can I serve in the church? We don't need to come. Don't you hate when you bring somebody with you and they are always the one that never pays the bill and they're the one that buys the most food and somehow they always leave? their wallet at home and they want to get all the food and all the good stuff but when it's time to leave the tip you got to leave the tip and they get up and leave the table and don't give any tip doesn't that just burn you up that they they got all the services you did they got everything that you did out of it but when it's time to do something nice and servitude they walk away but we do it every sunday we come and we get worship we come and lift our hands we come and get 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 the word but when it's time for the offering We get quiet. If you can't say amen. We got plenty of money for, for Amazon and baseball games and football games and, and Walmart.com. But when Jesus says, give me a tenth back of what I gave you, 10%, we get up from the table and walk away. But not just money. To serve one another in prayer. To, to not be so caught up in our own world that we don't see a brother or sister sitting on a pew that's hurting. And they look like they could use somebody not to just talk their ear off, but just to simply listen to them. To bear with one another in love. Is this helping anybody tonight? How do we walk worthy? We walk in humility, esteeming others above ourselves to be gentle in our approach with one another. You might differ. I have lots of friends. We differ politically, but we are good friends. We differ on many different things, but the reason they're my friends and close friends, as a matter of fact, is because we all love Jesus, and we can have our debate and walk away, and we serve each other, and when one needs something, the other one brings it, and when the other one needs it, and sometimes I need them to listen, and sometimes they need me to listen to them, and we serve one another, and we can overlook differences. I have a friend that is a, the exact polar opposite of me. If I say left, he says, right. If I say up, he says down. If I say this political party, he says that one. If I say this, he says that. But we have been friends for years and will continue to be friends because when I need him, he's there. And when he needs me, I'm there. We both believe in Jesus. We just have some incidentals that we don't agree on in life. And that's okay. Why? I can grin and bear some things he says that I really don't like. Why? Because I've learned how to bear one another's burdens and love and be patient with him and maybe he'll come around eventually to seeing what I see but if he never sees what I see don't you know that some things you've staunchly held and believed for years are actually wrong you just don't know it yet and it's probably because you're not married if you don't because I'm sure your spouse will let you know that you're wrong <laughs> my wife said amen in the back. She does not mind. It's important for us to learn to bear with one another's faults. I would want to be among a tribe of people who may have been imperfect, but they love one another. To make room for others' imperfections, because humility will remind us that we have perfections too. verse three. I don't want to camp there too long, but I want to stop. It says, make every effort hmm, to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What do you see there? The first thing I see is the word effort, which means that unity doesn't just happen. Unity takes what? Effort. Unity takes work. If we're going to be unified as the body of Christ, we have to work at it. We have to overlook some things and stop griping about the things that we don't agree on and work together on the things we do. There are many churches going up and down the roads of this road, and at some point in time, it will be good if we overlook our differences. And I know COVID stopped us from doing that, but to be able, if you like to feed the homeless and I like to feed the homeless, we like to dunk, you like to sprinkle. That's fine, but we both like to feed the homeless. Let's feed them together. 
Let's not divide over the small stuff. But let's serve the world in Christ together because we're better together. But you've got to make an effort. And unity and uniformity are not the same thing. Unity means we have a singular purpose and a goal. Uniformity means we all look, think, act, and sound the same. You, have you ever been to a church like that? I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody who's listening to this podcast or who's in the church, but have you ever been to a church like that? Everybody has the same hairdo, wear the same skirt, wear, wear the, same, wear the same, uh, same makeup or no makeup, the same shoes and same clothes, almost the same suit, and you really are uncomfortable, but you're scared to leave because you're like, what did I walk into? And nobody, it's like everybody's a carbon copy and nobody thinks for themselves kind of cultish in a way because you can tell quickly that the mindset is that the only way you can get to God is to follow the pattern I've set but there are people that are going to be different from you that still love Jesus and they don't like suits they still love Jesus and they got tattoos and piercings that you would never get. But they still, they still, they love Jesus. And can we look over the outside appearance so that we can all love Jesus together? Because we're better to what? Get together. But it takes what? Work. It takes work because I have to overlook my personal preference. It takes work because I've got to learn something about somebody that I may not know. It takes work because I have to get out of my comfort zone and may have to expand my borders and learn some things different from the way that I do it. It takes work. We should not expect unity to just appear. We must make a conscious effort to be unified with our Christian brothers and sisters. We're all different. Although we're not monolithic and uniform, we can be unified. I don't care if you're a biker church. Ride your bike. I can't ride bikes and I like my limbs, so I'm probably not going to ride the bikes, but I bless you while you ride them. I bless you and you can ride off and we can love Jesus together and you go your way and I go my way. Down south, they had cowboy churches. I'm not getting on a horse. I don't get on anything that can think for itself. I'm not going to do it, but if you want to do it, that's fine. I'm not riding horses with you, but when you come to church, we can all... Shout hallelujah. I may say hello and you may say howdy, but however you say it, we're both saying hello. I may say hallelujah, you may say glory, but it doesn't matter. Or you might say Gloria of Dios. You, however you say it, we're all unified because we're serving the same God. How we treat one another matters. The church should be a place where people can find unity and singularity of vision and purpose, even though we are different as God has made us like flowers and, and like snowflakes among the earth. In a world where people divide over everything, finding a place where unity thrives is refreshing. Let's be honest. We're probably in one of the most, and I'm pretty sure they say that in every, every age, we're probably in most, the most divided time of our country. Everybody's mad at everybody. Everybody's offended at everybody. I'm mad at you because you took the vaccine. I'm mad at you because you didn't. I'm mad at you because you wore a mask. I'm mad at you because you didn't. I'm mad at you because you voted for this person. I'm mad at you because you voted for this person. I'm mad at you because you cut me off in traffic. I'm mad at you because you drive too slow. We have a world full of divided and angry people that need to see the unity of faith and find love. We are always talking about how bad the world is. Maybe the world is dark because we're not shining the light we need to shine for let your light so shine that men may see your good works and they will glorify your father who is in heaven we keep complaining about the world being the world while we are not shining the light that we are called to shine we're called to shine the light and the love of christ jesus says who would take a light and hide it under a bushel? But we do. We come in here and love each other in churches all over America. And we hide it under the bushel called the four walls of the church and the roof. And when we go back outside, nobody sees that Christian love. 
anymore. We shouldn't hide it under a bushel. We have something special. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 13, he begins to tell us that we are many members. I have many parts to myself, many ligaments, many bones, but we all just make one body. Sometimes when we're irritated by the things people do, it's simply for a lack of understanding. We often ascribe to people motives that we say they have. People do stuff to us and we get mad and irritated and we don't even know why they did what they did. But you know you do it. Mm -hmm, that's why they did it. They did it because they know it get on my nerves and they, they did it because they just a nasty person. I'm so tired of them being nasty. They meant to do that. You don't know. I walked in today and they didn't speak to me. You know, I, I walked in and saw Brother Dave and Brother Dave turned his head and, and uh, Brother Dave been talking about me behind my back. I, I can tell. I got the discerning spirit. You ever heard those type of Christians? I can discern. <laughs> I can discern it. I got a, I got discernment in me. No, you got nose in you. And, and Brother Dave just wouldn't speak to me. And the truth of the matter is that Brother Dave has had had a dog tired day at work and he doesn't really want to talk to anybody but because you didn't take the time to understand brother Dave you put on him what you thought and now you irritated by something that isn't even true because you didn't get the time to ask brother Dave how you doing today and you might have heard him say man I'm tired today they didn't, they didn't work me a whole lot oh I can see why he he's quiet I can see why he's not. But we don't take the time to bear with one another and bear one another's faults and really be involved and learn what's going on with somebody. Because if we ask them what's wrong with them, they may tell us. And the truth be, most of us really don't care. Can you be honest? How many times have you asked somebody how you're doing and started talking before they even answered how they were doing? And God sees that. And they do too. And what they say is they really don't care. And that might have been the very person that said, nobody cares about me. And God gave you an opportunity to catch a touchdown pass and give somebody some hope and encouragement that day. But because we were caught up in our own thoughts or the ever, ever prevalent great lie of the church, I'll be praying for you. How many times have you told somebody that you would pray for them? And what that really means is you weird me out. And I don't know how to get out this conversation. So I'm going to say, I'll be praying for you. So that'll be a nice way to end and a good segue. I'll be praying for you. God bless, well, bless your heart. I'm going to be praying for you. And then you walk away and you never think about it again. You know what I started doing? It weirds some people out. But oftentimes, I just stop in the middle of a conversation and say, hey, I want to pray for you now. And we stop and we start praying that way. That, and I'll tell them, the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want to lie. I want to make sure that I pray for your need right now. Christians are not so self-centered that they're not looking to serve other people. Is this helping anybody? We're almost done. I, I, we might not get done tonight because I'm going to respect your time. But we need to learn that if we really truly understand people, it will stop us from preying on people and using people for our own motives and teach us to pray for people. How do you treat the people that you really don't need? What did the person who checked out your groceries look like? Can you even remember? Did they have a smile on their face? Were they going through a bad day? Did you even notice? How about the last waitress that came? Were, were, they, were they struggling to get your food and overrun with people? And you helped them with their struggling by sending them back five or six times for little small stuff that you could have dealt with? I need this. Bring me this. Do that for me. My food's cold. This is that. This is that. This is that. Do this and do this. Well, by the way, where do you go to church? Come to my church. Then you walk away and leave them a $2 tip. How does that make Christ look? 
Who is quiet, Jesus? Wow. All that in these four little verses. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith. Hallelujah. One baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, through all and in all. The Godhead is the ultimate symbol of unity. We give glory to God when we're unified. There is no greater symbol than three distinct persons making one Godhead. Complete and completely distinct, but yet completely in unity, in purpose and design. And, and the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and, 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 the, and the Spirit is not the Son. They are distinct in their nature, but yet they all function in harmony with one another. And God made man in his image, and he intends for us as the church, we are called what? The body of Christ. He's called us to be unified and to be loving. One God and Father of all who is above all and in all and through all. God has equipped us for service in his body. Each believer has at least one spiritual gift. How do you know that? Because verse 7 says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher above all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. In order... It was he who gave to some apostles, to some prophets, to some evangelists, to some pastors, to some preachers or teachers and teachers rather to prepare God's people for work of service that the body of Christ may be built up. Your gift is not for you and everybody has a gift. And sooner or later, we're going to be doing a teaching on spiritual gifts if the Lord does, does tarry. And we're going to be talking about that because we have a gift in us, whether we know it or not. Sometimes, often more than one gift, but one dominant gift. And we should know what that is because it's our way to serve the body of Christ. And why does he say he gave those? These are the gifts of Jesus. He's talking about Jesus he says he gave them for what verse 12 go to verse 12 let's read that together well we'll start at 11 I like that let's read together since we're about finished so Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers why to equip God's people for works of service stop there should be nobody in the church that's not serving somebody in some way or some form, or some fashion. To serve with your time, to serve with your talent and your treasure. With your giving, you should be serving. Of your money and your time and your finances, of your prayers, of yourself, you're required to give. It is not a request. It is a command that we give of ourselves for the glory of God. Why does he do that? Let's read verse 12 to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That if each one of us works in harmony and learns what God has gifted us with and we use that, guess what? It helps the body of Christ. Not everybody has the same gift. Some people would be terrified to stand on the stage and preach, but some people can stand in a small group and teach. Some people have a gift to cook and they can use that gift of cooks and helps to find somebody who's sick and can't find food for themselves and may bring them some food. You might like to entertain and have a gift of hospitality. And if you have that gift, you can bring people in and somebody says, I'm a good teacher, but I'm not very hospitable. I don't like people that much. That's fine. Well, I do all the hospitality and you do the teaching and that way everybody's satisfied. And now we've got a small group here where people are being built up and learning from Christ because we use our gifts. There's not one person in this room that God hasn't given a gift. And it's our responsibility to seek God and to find out what that gift is and how we can use it to build up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let's read verse 14 together. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Keep going. Instead, speaking the truth, how? In love. Verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. For him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. A healthy body requires cooperation from all of its parts. I'm learning as I get a little bit more well seasoned, I will say that sometimes my parts at 40 don't like to cooperate like they did at 18 and it hinders some of my progress that I like to do. I like to just hop up out of the bed and go where I need to go, but for some reason, parts of my body seem to hinder my progress, and when I want to get up, my feet are tingling and they're hurting, and I'm trying to find out what's wrong with you. You were fine when we laid down last night. What's going on? I work out. What are you doing? You are causing me problems. I can't progress because one of my parts of my body is not trying to cooperate with the other. I used to be able to sleep on the cold, hard floor on a brick and I will wake up refreshed. And if I sleep slightly the wrong way in the bed, my body doesn't seem to want to cooperate and it impedes my progress. Do you not know that if you don't learn what your gift is and function in that gift, the body of Christ cannot move forward. It's slow getting out of bed. Why is it slow progressing? Because some of its body parts are not functioning in cooperation and unity and harmony with the other. Christ is giving gifts to the church for health and preparation of the church. It is their goal to train and mentor the church for works of service. And we have a huge task and a calling to the world for Christ. We need all hands on deck. The church needs you. I encourage you to work to find your gift. And when you find that gift, serve to the best of your ability and love. When we function in unity and play our part, the body functions as it should, and it will produce mere, not just mere Christians, but productive people in the body of Christ. It will help us to equip and train believers to serve. It'll help us produce growth and maturity in other believers. When they operate properly, Christians can have unity in the faith. The believer will grow in the knowledge about God and his agenda. If we have good Sunday school teachers that will teach, or, or, or if you don't have Sunday school, if you have small group studies, same thing, different name. And we will raise up generations that are sound in doctrine and practice. If we have good people that are willing to take time in children's ministry and teach kids, we will thrive and consistent development as disciples and raise up new people to take the next generation forward. We will fortify the saints to operate in a sinful world and teach them how to be in the world, but not of the world. And finally, disciple. We will disciple believers to continually grow with an ever-increasing and manifested outward love that when we all work together, the body of God will be blessed, the body of Christ will be blessed, and the church will function the way it needs to function. I saw a sign as we get ready to go. It was on one of those funny church signs, but it was a real sign. I actually saw this sign. And it had a wonderful statement. It said, if you're not getting anything out of your church, ask yourself what you're putting into it. I had a football coach, Coach Justice. Coach Justice was a funny fella. He's still alive. He, he taught us a lot of stuff. And we were in the field house one day. And uh, this, this, this lineman, he missed the block and let somebody come through the line. And he did it several times. And I can't say it the way Coach Justice said it because we're in church. <laughs> but I remember him grabbing that big lineman and saying, come here, fella. <laughs> and he pulled him over to this Coke machine. And he looked at the Coke machine and he said, I want you to tell that Coke machine to give you a Coke. He looked at Coach Justice like he had lost his mind. He said, you heard what I said. Tell it to give you a Coke. 
he looked. Like, what's wrong with this man? He says, what's wrong? Why don't you tell it to give you a coat? He said, because I don't have any money. He said, that's right. If you don't put anything in it, you're not going to get anything out of it. <laughs> in other words, if you want results, you got to give your all. It's up to all of us, not one person, not one pastor, not one preacher, not one deacon, not to Brother Dave or Brother Joe or to Lamar. It takes all of us, not just just to Sister Bernice and Sister Stella and uh, to all these people. It takes all of us doing our part on every single snap. We can't afford to have an off Sunday because when we come in and somebody doesn't know Jesus, guess what? They may have, this may be their only time. And if it's a dead and dry service and I just don't feel like raising my hands today, I just don't feel like participating today. You know what? I wish they'd sing the old songs that I knew. I like the old songs. I really don't like these new songs. And so since I don't like these new songs, I do it, but I'm a half do it because I really don't, I really don't care. And what, what we're saying is I want something out of it, but I won't put anything. You know what to do. <laughs> she can't say amen. I'm not picking. I don't know who does and doesn't like the music. You're nice enough not to tell me. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if we're going to have the church that God has called us to have, it takes each of us to work. It takes each of us to get out into the streets and say, come to my church. If you're not getting what you need out of your church, ask yourself, how can I serve? Let us pray. God, I thank you for allowing us to Pull these morsels from your word, and I pray that those who hear the sound of my voice will be blessed by it, not by me, by your spirit touching their heart and bringing something alive in them. Now, Father, help us to be the church you're calling us to be, to love the way you want us to love and to do the things that you want us to do. Help us be the glorious church that you're going to come back to receive unto yourself. Help us to have unity and love and gentleness and humbleness. And God, I pray that our conduct matches the product. Help us, empower us to do that by your spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've been blessed, give God a hand clap.